Welcome to Conversations With. My name is Shaley Hugendorn and I live with Bipolar 2 Disorder. Sharing with others is healing both individually and collectively. Sharing our stories will educate others, bring more understanding, shed more light and smash more stigma. Our voices need to be heard. Our stories aren't over yet. This is Bipolar. Hi everyone, welcome back to This is Bipolar Conversations with. I know y'all know I get excited, but I can hardly contain myself because I feel like we are already best friends. So before we get started, if this is your first time, I'm Shaylee Hugendorn. I am, my pronouns are she, her. I live on the unceded territory of the Coquitlam and Katesy people. I am a mom and I am a wife and a teacher and I live with bipolar 2 disorder. And I'm so excited to have Julie Fast here today. If you don't already follow everything, which you probably do, and you probably have all the books, go right now and follow her because I have learned so much. And in fact, it was the first, I didn't tell you this yet, but the first bipolar book I bought when I was ready to accept um, my diagnosis. So this is a very, very exciting interview for me. And Julie, I would just love if you could tell people who you are and what you do. Well, thank you. I mean, I've known about your work for so long and we've been trying to get to together and you've been so patient. So thank you. Well, my name is Julie Fast and I guess the best way to describe myself is that I started having symptoms of psychosis when I was 16, didn't know what they were, of course. And I'm sitting in a, I always tell the story because it's so bizarre. I went to high school in Hawaii. I'm sitting oh. in a bookstore reading the far side comics because it's the eighties. And I heard a big booming voice go, you need to leave. And I remember looking around and thinking, is that my dad? And there was no, there were other people, but nobody was talking to me. And I got up and left. That actually was my first command voice hallucination. At 17, I went to Europe for the first time. And Shaylee, I know you just yes Europe. And so I had my first manic episode in Europe, but nobody knew me very well. It was schoolmates, but only one of my friends went. My parents weren't there. I got excited. I fell in love for the first time. I had my first ever drink while I was there. I wasn't Ooh. tired. I wasn't worried about my weight. And I remember coming back to Hawaii and going, what was that? Because I sort of went back to myself. And then the next year I had a big manic episode and sort of left school. And by big for me, I don't mean full-blown psychotic mania, but quite manic. Mine lasted a very strong manic episodes that last about three months at a time. Yeah. Wow. I went just absolutely wild and mm -hmm. it had an amazing time. I went to a university but then I started to get sick. I left that university because I wanted to be next to a hockey team. So I left college, that college in Alabama called Auburn, Alabama, and went up to near Canada to a place called Bellingham. So I could be near the Vancouver Canucks and watch Wayne Gretzky, who was at Edmonton at the time and had no idea what was going on that I was 18. I then started having very strange symptoms of not being able to sit down in class of not wow. going to class, of being obsessed about men. I have memories of going out in the woods with like glasses and throwing yeah. them against trees. Yeah. I fell in love with a guy from Vancouver, BC and moved in with him after only knowing him a few weeks. He luckily was an amazing man. 
Then when he broke up with me, I had my first psychotic suicidal depression at age 19, but typical bipolar got a job at Glacier National Park in Montana and got manic and all excited. And that pattern continued for 15 years until I was finally diagnosed with bipolar at age 31. Because remember back then, we didn't talk about bipolar two that much. Mm -mm. I'm actually in between bipolar one and two. You know, one of my mentors, Jim Phelps, Dr. Jim Phelps, who really helped, you know, talk about this whole concept of bipolar spectrum. I'm bipolar heavy, bipolar two. And then when I was put on the wrong meds, I moved into bipolar one. But I also have a psychotic disorder. It is, it's, it's, we're all on a spectrum, right? Mm. And then I have a very separate psychotic disorder. So you'll notice my psychosis symptoms arrived before my bipolar symptoms. That doesn't happen in bipolar. In bipolar, psychosis is always attached to a mania or a depression. Right. So I have bipolar, what I call 1.5. I mean, I'm literally right bipolar two, bipolar one. If I don't take care of myself, I have full-blown manic psychosis. But I also have a psychotic paranoid delusional disorder that's very, very serious. So my definite my diagnosis is schizoaffective disorder bipolar type. I don't have schizophrenia. I'm on the schizophrenia spectrum. Schizophrenia is not a scary word to me. Bipolar, psychosis, I'm not embarrassed. I'm not scared of any of this. In fact, the diagnosis saved my life. But believe it or not, before I was diagnosed, I fell in love with a man from France while we were living in Tokyo. And he was diagnosed with bipolar one a year before I was. So I went through the whole process of his hospitalization and being very sick and almost dying. It was very, very serious. I was diagnosed the next year after I let him, left him and moved to go to school in China, where I learned to speak Mandarin Chinese in four weeks because I was so manic. I had a photographic. That sounds familiar. Right. Finally diagnosed at age 31. But before that, a doctor got to me, put me on Zoloft, which no made me, more me. That's my oh, it's, been, it's, it's been so bad. And before, and then finally in 20 minutes, I sat with, I remember my first psychiatrist, she goes, my gosh, you've had bipolar since you're like 17. She diagnosed me in 20 minutes. So 15 years of true bipolar hell. Why can't Julie settle down? Why does she have her doctorate? Why isn't she a lawyer? Why are, why are the people around her? What's wrong with her? Why does she have so many boyfriends? This kind of thing. And then I did not respond well to medications at all. And people who read my books know I'm very pro-meds. We need them. But I had excessive weight gain, like massive. I was not overweight when I started bipolar meds. And I had gained 90 pounds within three years. So I remember my partner, Ivan, was much more, he responded to meds better than me. I just didn't know what to do. So I sat down and I wrote the first ever bipolar disorder management plan. And that was in 1997 to 98. And that's what you see in all my books. That's the plan I wrote. It's for those of us who want to manage bipolar and psychotic disorders as naturally as possible, because I still need meds. And these days, my work, I've moved much more into the research um, process, because I've been doing this since 2002 was when my first book came out. I wrote the first management book, Take Charge. I wrote the first partner book, Loving Someone with Bipolar Disorder. Then I wrote Getting It Done When You're Depressed. Um, Mm -hmm. I have a treatment plan called the Health Cards, which are an insight training program. I train healthcare professionals, but my main work is with parents and partners who want to help a loved one stay in treatment and get into treatment. And then I became a cannabis and other substance researcher over the last 13 years, because I saw what cannabis marijuana did to me and what it's doing to our population. And lately, 
I've spent the last three years researching ketogenic metabolic therapy diets for bipolar. And that's our future guys. I got to tell you, the keto diet was originally created for epilepsy and we take the same meds. Right. And so now there's people all over the world researching about the effects and possible, you know, positive use of keto diets in bipolar. So that in a nutshell, but the most important thing I think to tell people is that I'm very disabled by my bipolar. I can work part-time. I cannot work and have a social life. So I either have to be in a relationship with a partner and be very, very slow in my regular life and, and go out and do things and have dinners and go to concerts, or I work. I have never been able to have an active social life and an active work life. So I choose work right now. I'm actually quite happy, whatever, but I'm sick a lot. Um, I still have a lot of struggles. My paranoia keeps me from working in large companies. I can't travel like I used to, but I honestly can say I'm a very content person. I don't wake up depressed like I did for most of my life. I'm always on the edge of a mood swing and or paranoia, but I've learned to manage it. And I would overall definitely call myself a happy person who has a lot of challenges. So that's my yeah. back. Yeah, that's wow. That's wild. Yeah. Ugh, it just makes me so sad for you and for me in that, that one Terrible part illness. about not like that people couldn't figure it out for so long. I'm the same. I was 32 as well. Oh yeah. So same. And it's, and you know, and it's genetic, right? So when I finally figured out that I'm third generation bipolar, my grandfather and my father definitely have yeah. bipolar disorder. I didn't figure that out till I was much older yeah. because it can, a lot of, a lot of people, especially men can have mania. That's very, very rewarded in mm -hmm. society as it was, especially with my father. Yeah. And so realizing that I realized that I had to make sure that my nephew, David, who's my brother's child, who's one mm -hmm. of my best friends, my nephew, that we had to do everything possible to prevent bipolar yeah. um, substances and, and lifestyle changes that could create mm -hmm. genetically latent bipolar, have it come out. Or if he does show signs of bipolar, which he hasn't so far, he's 21, we would be ready. So yeah. it's generational and we need to yeah. talk about it. Yeah, exactly. And I can look back now and I, uh, like, I'm the only one that sought help or healing and it would get explained away as personality quirks or, or this or that. And I have, um, I have two teenage daughters. Um, I had them uh, before I found out that I had bipolar mm -hmm. disorders. We thought I just had depression my, um, mm -hmm. my whole life and that the hypomanic me was just me. That's right. That's the real me. That's the happy me. That's the, you know, or the irritated me or the leave me alone me or yes. the wrong with my world yeah. yeah and then you forget that's my thing with hypo yeah with hypomania is that I forget and I think oh it was only good and then I'm and then my husband's like um do you remember how mad yeah. I made good you? for him yeah the people yeah. around us don't like our mania strangers strangers like our mania yes yes our yeah. bosses yeah. or people we work with often like our mania because they can make money entertainment, off of our right. ideas. Entertainment or, you know, if we're an artist like Armenia, but our our loved ones don't like Armenia. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned your your book. My husband um, has read the Loving Someone with Bipolar and also is in the Facebook group. I think it's called- Oh, Stop really? That's Table. wonderful. Yeah, he's in the background. He's not- That's okay. A, a lot of people are. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so if you're someone, and a lot of people actually ask me, you know, can you bring him on? Can you guys talk like this? And I still tell them like- we talk about it, of course, but it's actually really hard for me to listen to 
his to the reality yeah right not so much now but the before times it's just really hard and up so the podcast like people are like bring on loved ones do to this and I'm like actually for my own like management plan it I already feel all those things that to hear it so I've told people I'm sorry that's not I I bring on folks that have it that's that it, live with it, it one of the hardest things and I often say this to people they'll tell me I'm utilizing my meaning I'm like Go ask five people in your life what they think about your mania. Oh, it hurts. My nephew said, you're embarrassing. My friend Karen said to me, when you start to make me angry, I know you're manic. And these are people who love me. Yeah. So you. My mom says, you talk so much, I can't follow. I asked, by the way, nobody was being rude. I remember my ex-boyfriend, Randy, just going, I just don't know what's going on. Sometimes you're, and I I remember going, oh, they do see it. Yeah. They do feel it. When yeah. I'm telling them my 19th idea. Yes. Yes. Helped me a lot. The 27th text. Texting. That's right. What if we did this or this or this? You know, and I'm like so happy that text wasn't around when I had my full. Aren't like, you happy that video was what oh, on no, earth no. if I'd had. What if I no. had. Oh, no. I know. no we no. are so lucky. Now, how old are you? Because I'm a, I think I'm a lot older than you. I'm 45. Yeah. So I'm a good 10 years. I'm, I'm 59. Yeah. So I'm 10 years older than you. When I, I remember I used to be so manic and drunk. I was lying in the street, like playing, like thinking yeah. it was funny. Yeah. And I know I would have lost my mind online. Yeah. People would have videoed I didn't know I us, right? Videoed. It would have been, yeah. Well, and I look back of a pattern that you were talking about um, loved ones or whatever. If I look back at all the boyfriends that I had in high school, so many boyfriends. always broke up with me when I was depressed. Inter- now see now I had a different path I was a late bloomer sort of I left all of my boyfriends when I was manic and they would go why why are you leaving me and then when I'm depressed I would think I never have a boyfriend nobody loves me and I'm like but you just broke up no it's not the same thing I didn't really yeah. oh, it was terrible I hurt so many people yeah you yeah. know and but isn't stability better Oh, hundred percent. It is. It's it not. Is I mean, maybe it's not as exciting. No, I don't do as many things. But oh my gosh, I can't even believe I lived past fifty. Yeah. And so, oh, I'll take stability every day. Yeah, every day. I think too. I was talking about this with um, an artist. Her name's Sarah. And we were talking about, especially because she's a musician, and people were like making money off her, and people are excited about like our ideas and such. But she, she was talking about when people go off their meds or think about going off their meds to to because you crave hypomania and your brain lies to you when you're depressed it tells you that is better right right so we I all see do. why people do it it's horrible don't do it never ever ever but I can understand why but you don't you do get more ideas but what her and I were talking is that to bring those ideas to like completion or to actually it doesn't matter if you have 27 amazing ideas and you never mm-hmm. finish any of them whereas now yes I have less I have less but those things I can stick to, like I would have never stuck to a podcast for three years. Because you gone. get, but also the thing to remember, I actually just did a post about this because I'm, mm. I'm trying to do mostly, you know, bipolar education on my yeah. Instagram. We have to understand that mania is not creating our creativity. It has to be in us. So the talents that we have when manic are self-generated. So there is no way that it's the mania doing it. What mania does is it removes the thinking of, I can't do that. I'm not good enough. This won't be good enough. It removes, as I call it, mania never hesitates. 
if you are creative, if we are creative when manic, that creativity is in us. We have to learn to access it without the mania. It's okay. not easy, the whole, it's, the whole but it's, whole thing. It, that changed my life. In fact, in getting it done when you're depressed, which I should have called getting it done when you're depressed, anxious, and have ADD, because yeah. it's how I manage my life when I'm not doing well. I create creativity. I remember thinking, I can't, I had an earring. I've got someone, when I was really sick, I started an earring business, a jewelry business. I made tiaras and earrings a long time ago. And I remember it was so easy when I was manic and I was depressed. I'd go, ah, but if I sat down and actually did it, it wasn't as easy. It didn't feel as good, but you cannot tell the difference between the earrings I made when manic or the earrings I made when depressed. And most people don't know a lot of my books, the ideas, maybe before I stopped, I don't allow mania to go anywhere in my life. I would outline a book, but I wrote all of my books when depressed and psychotic because the process made me sick. You'd never know it from reading the books that I was depressed when I wrote them. We've got to get rid of this idea that mania creates creativity. People with bipolar are not more creative than other people. That's a myth. Mm. Bipolar have an episode that removes fear and hesitation. Because what is mania controlling? You know, if you can get something done that you can't get done when you're depressed, that's just because depression is telling you you can't and mania is telling you you can. So we have to be able to access it. Is it as exciting or vibrant or as colorful in our brains? Absolutely not. Mm. But I I don't know that someone can look at a song or a poem or something that I did when stable or manic or depressed and tell the difference. I can. Yeah. That when I was manic. Yeah. But it's it's an interesting thought, isn't it? And I think that helps a lot of us that there's hope. Yeah. Because mania is dangerous. Yeah. Right. Like we even, I mean, I can't comment on stars or whatever, but you watch certain stars that won't like, or famous people won't take medication because it'll take away their creativity and you see them like well i can comment on them because i work with their family members i'll be honest with you and here's the thing let's look at kanye and Brittany, two of the most talented brilliant original unbelievable amazing people and the majority of the work we love is before their bipolar got bad it was not mania in fact, if you look at Brittany now, because you, you know, I do research meaning in the eyes. We can tell when Brittany's manic. We can tell when Kanye's manic and psychotic. We can tell when someone's not doing well or they're putting something out online or when we are, or one of our mm-hmm. colleagues are. Those are just talented people. I do not believe they are like that because they have bipolar. I think bipolar sits on top of them and affects their talent. But think about Brittany, you know, before she got really sick, remember when, because I did a lot of interviews and TVs about that. She did a huge amount of work way before she ever had a manic episode. Yeah. To me now it's their bipolar that's holding them back. I don't think it's bipolar that had much to do with their creativity. They're just astonishing creative people. Yeah. And I'll say this openly. I think Kanye is, is sad. He's so brilliant. And it's just- and he's he lost his family i lost my relationships when my mania when my illness wouldn't be treated i'm not a big fan of the kardashians because of many reasons but when kim kardashian did the posts about their breakup as a as a bipolar partner specialist who wrote the first book ever also i know she knows my work i just 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 let me know i have not worked with her i'll tell you but she knows my work i looked at that amazing statement she made 
That's a statement every partner makes. You know when you love someone who's brilliant, but they cannot accept treatment, then you have to walk away. And that's basically yeah. what she said. Yeah. And I have to admire her for that, you know, and I admire your husband for being honest with you. Mm. I admire my family and friends and my nephew for being honest with me, because as people with bipolar, we're nothing if the people don't around us don't tell us the truth. Yeah, it's true. And it's, it's hard to hear. And especially it hurts. Uh, when I was really like bef before treatment, um, and when I was just starting to to get better or whatever, I'd have to get them to write it down because I couldn't hear the words at it's first. Just, it was too painful. So true. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. when I, but when I can read it, I could. Mm -hmm. Because what I try to explain to people, and I don't know if you feel the same thing, is that I think I get defensive or angry or whatever. It's because I have already berated myself to death. I already know how much I affect the people mm -hmm. around me and those kinds of things. So then when they, even though it is absolutely fair that they should be able to say their, uh, you know, what, how their experience is, it literally, I've learned to work on it, but it literally would destroy me. Before. It, 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 the other night I was working with a dear, dear friend of mine and I was very irritated. I guess it was a couple months ago and I snapped at her, something I never do. I still can't get over that I did that. And, and I'm like, it was on a zoom call. Cause I moved and, and she's one of my best friends. I have apologized. I have said I was sick. She has let it go. But do you know that even now when I talk to her, I'm like, she's mad at me. I was mean to her. Yeah. I, I snapped at her, somebody I love so much. I was in a downswing. And so what I do now, cause I work with a lot of people that if I'm really having a tough time and I can feel myself, going, <laughs> I will turn off my video and I'll say to them, you got, I'll say, guys, the irritation is really getting me today. I am not going to take this out of you. I'm going to turn off my video for a minute and make some faces and do some snorts and get some pissed off out of me. And then I'll be back because That's the irritation brilliant. is so bad with this illness. And, you know, the more we work and also the more success we have, the harder bipolar is to manage. So bipolar is not an illness that only responds to breakups and failure. It responds to new relationships and book deals. You know, it's terrible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just so it's tired like, of it. I know sometimes you're like, come on. Like it, it triggers with the bad. Uh, literally, are you stuff? What? I just found out that I got this, this, and this, and I'm crying from stress. This is so unfair. And you're right. It's unfair. It is. It is unfair. And uh, it. I sat in that for quite a while before I could finally, you know what I mean? Step, step forward into it. I wasn't, I was like totally surprised and not surprised at all, if that makes sense. Cause I wasn't it, it, someone that didn't seek, like every time I got depressed, I wanted to know, like, I give me all the medicine. Like I wasn't like that. Um, my mom was a nurse, so I didn't have a, a, a problem with uh, medication, like thinking about medication that way. Um, but they, they just couldn't get it right. But then at the same time, like just knowing, I was like, you have a word for it. We have something to move forward. But then I realized the word I have for it is scary to everybody yep. else. It, and you know, do you know, it's interesting. I don't know if I was just naive or the fact that I had been in Japan for so many years or whatever, but to me, it never entered my mind not to tell people I had bipolar. Wow. It never, I've never had a moment, not even one moment of shame about having this illness because my behavior when undiagnosed is what I found shameful, oh, not the bipolar diagnosis. It was the sex, the yeah. STDs, the almost yeah. getting killed, the not telling oh. people where I was, the strange hotel rooms, 
um, the leaving jobs, 40 jobs. I think I've had like 40 jobs. Yeah. That to me was far more embarrassing. So bipolar gave me a word for it, not an excuse, That's but an explanation. So I told everybody, I was yeah. proud that it wasn't me. Yeah, like a fundamental know? personality flaw, right? Right, and, and also this is so, it's so funny when people say, I don't believe in labels. And I'm like, well, if you had diabetes, you probably would not call that a label. Yeah. But yeah. bipolar, as you know, doesn't care whether you say the word bipolar or not. Yeah. Your symptoms are still there. Yeah. So it's like you can you can say to yourself, um, I don't like the word epilepsy, but you're still going to have seizures. Yeah. And yeah. we cannot yeah. like the word bipolar, but we're still going to have mood swings, psychosis, and anxiety. So and irritation. Yeah. So I you know, find that that that's so interesting. Like, so my best friend has um, diabetes, and she has a pump. And we yes. were away. We took our kids. I didn't get to go sadly into the space, but took our daughters to Taylor Swift. So we oh, excitement. that's we such the kids. end thing right now. It's so exciting for people to do oh that. Oh my gosh. We sat outside. We were like the old ladies that sat outside. Well, they have the concert chair. of people sit outside to listen who can't get it's in. it's open. Like in Seattle, yeah. it's in that open thing. So we could hear. And let me tell you, if I, and you'll get this joke, but if I could have a visual of hypomania, it would be that lineup of those rad sparkly outfits. Isn't it? It's it was, and it's it was awesome to see, like just as a visual. Obviously, it wasn't hypomania. Everyone was just excited and extra, exactly. But I well, felt at home. The thing to remember too is when you look at someone like Taylor Swift. You know, Taylor Swift is stable. There's no yeah. question about it. you couldn't do what you could what she's doing if she were not stable. But it's sort of like contained creativity, right? And she yes. pays a price for her creativity as well. Yes. We don't get to contain our creativity when we're mad. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and in fact, you were, you were talking about this podcast and it, and it makes me think about the role that work has for all of yes. us. And right now I'm, I'm in a situation and I'm, I'm interested to know if the listener and, and you are in the same thing, which is the more people want for me from me, the more success I have, the sicker I am. Mm. But if I say no, I feel sad and lonely mm. and it costs financially to not say yes to the big deals. So one of the big things about bipolar, even those of us who can work part-time or people who are on disability, which I have been on, et cetera, it's managing this sort of <laughs> the emotional stress of trying to figure out how to use our considerable talents and intelligence mm -hmm. without getting sick from it. Right. And I would, I, I would love to be like Taylor Swift, have a dream, do an album, do this, do this. I don't, I don't get that. For example, if I get a book deal, I know that it's going to be six months of absolute H-E double toothpicks. I will not be well during the whole process. My agent knows, my publisher knows, my family knows. I have to sort of go in a hole, yeah. somehow get that creative process out of me and I'll be sick the whole time. There, and there's no way around it. It's been 20 years. Yeah. So I really imagine it's like, it's like giving birth, right? It's painful, yeah. but you have a product after. So I'm happy to have the product, but the process yeah. is very painful for me for work. Yeah. Yeah. But I thought it was really beautiful. I was inspired by like that, how honest you are about that and like how boundaried you are. Cause when we were first going to, you're like, I'm writing a book, get a hold of me in the summer. Right. And I was like, awesome like and you I did and that's not amazing someone just tell yeah. me like this is what I yeah. need and it's interesting because my co-host Julie Kraft um she is an artist and she writes she wrote her memoir but now she writes children's books and she wow. like 
she does all the art like she does the whole thing she's a painter too so but when she does something like that and that's why she's not a co-host right now that's all she can do and it's fact, and I think that's you know and imagine doing that and if you have bipolar yeah yeah you know so how she doesn't show up on social media at all like doesn't answer a single you know how many breaks I take I put my notice up I'm not and that's another thing you know we can talk social media for a minute because yeah let's I do, do not try to get followers on social media I cannot handle it in mm. fact, I have a lot of, if my followers go up and up and up, I get fear and paranoia oh. and worry. Oh, it's not pleasant for me. Oh. And when I get attacked online, I'll start crying. I get psychotic almost immediately. Mm. I think about quitting. That's why online bullies are so serious and I take them so seriously. I had someone not so long ago tell me that I was a fake and a fraud and that my research isn't real because I'm not a PhD. And then mm. she went on another huge group and started talking about me. And oh. you get to the point where you're like, I can't do this. I can't because I bipolar and you know, this, I, a, a fake and a fraud I've yeah. devoted my life to bipolar. Right. So you try to do something, but if someone's a bully, they're never going to back down. Right. Yeah. But an amazing thing happened because somebody told me they saw the post people wrote underneath. Well, I've worked with Julie and I don't feel the way you do. So thank heaven. Somebody is coming to our rescue a bit because online is nasty, man. Yeah. It's like, it hurts. It does. You're stupid. Does. And it, I was like, I don't know you. I know. So that's why I am not a big fan of, I would never call myself an influencer or anything. That's why I don't do a huge amount on Instagram is I don't want too many followers yeah. because I'll start to get stressed. That's you cannot so interact with people. Oh, you yeah. cannot interact. How many followers? I think I've got 13, 14,000 or 15. I don't know. How many people do I need to follow me if I want to interact? What, what would I do with a, I have, buy my books if the hundreds of thousands of people have bought my books that's great i don't want a hundred thousand followers on instagram how could See, i i'm the opposite because but I, how would know. we manage it though shaley how so can we I, have integrity in our bipolar and sleep and fear and worry how would we manage yeah. the comments so and make I, sure it's for me place? i that's one thing so there's other things that i can't handle for sure but i think mm -hmm. the way i because i'm like i'm bipolar aside right I'm an extrovert, depressed or. Me too. Uh, I'm the same. I'm a, I'm a depressed, anxious extrovert. <laughs> yeah, same. But also like I, uh, for me, it's my space of um, gathering, like gathering. Oh, so you I think of it like gathering feelings. people that oh. are in the dark and alone or like me didn't have anywhere to go. So I don't think I, even though I know I obviously there's a lot of followers. I get that. I'm not being oblivious, but I think of it like I like I think of, yeah, I think of myself and I think how I didn't know anyone. And when I looked online, I found doom. Like I couldn't see a face that was like, you know, bipolar. But it gives you pleasure. It does. And, I, and not too much. Like it's not, I know. I understand. And I, yeah. And I plan things and I've given myself permission as, and I used to feel a little bit embarrassed at first. I show up how I am. So like Absolutely. and I love that about you. I like that mm. you you do and well and I think this also is the difference and I'm pretty open about this. I don't only have bipolar. As you can see most of my reaction to that stress is paranoia. I think mm. that is my paranoid psychotic disorder coming that out. Makes sense. When I worked as I worked as a sports marketer for many many years and I would not tell people that I was the creator of the of the product because I remember I used to do Twitter when I did, I was in soccer and soccer is a big thing, right? Yeah. And people would start writing me. I was paranoid. Why are they writing me? Well, Julie, they read your article. And I remember getting sick and crying with my therapist and having to take my Twitter page down. 
mm. because it was successful. Mm-hmm. So I think that's more my paranoia. That makes that makes yeah. sense. And I because I have lots of things. If I don't feel up for it, I have other stuff I did before. Mm-hmm. So it's this weird thing where when as soon as I gave myself one permission to show up, total mess. I don't like sometimes I probably drive people bananas because I don't edit. And then I'll go back and I'm like, oh, because I know if I don't just put it out there, it won't happen. That's right. I have so many, so many, but you know, I think you bring up something important about social media. Mm. If we are not our real selves, we will be caught out eventually. The filter, you notice I'm 59 years old and I started in this business when I was in my thirties and I did not have aging face. Yeah. Sometimes I'll look in and I'll go, oh my. And I was like, nope, no filters no lies, Mm -hmm. no manipulation, because it will never make us lose sleep. Mm -hmm. We will never be caught out in a scandal. We will never be in trouble because if you're your real self online, who can ever bother you? Yeah. And you know what? You find your right people too, right? That's true. The people that are like, I've had some rude stuff and some, you could tell it's bots. Like I hate bipolar people. I'm like, really? Oh, that bless them and block them, bless them and block them, bless them and block them. I've found a way and I've worked hard at it and I therapy and whatever. I've found a way to show up on the space in the beautiful parts of social media. And I, I agree with you. It's beautiful. There are so many beautiful things, but it's, it's tippy, right? Because like I had a imposter thing and I, I could have went low blow and taken her out because Mm -hmm. I have a lot of followers and I was upset and I, she was trying to take the name of the podcast. Isn't it right, amazing? Right. Do you know that that plagiarism is the number one problem in my field? Can you believe somebody would do that? But then do you think she was ill? Um, possibly. possibly. That's what's hard, right? We never know because we're in yeah. a field where we've gotten ill and people get ill and do some terrible things. Yeah. And you can tell sometimes too. And I used to, in the beginning, if someone, cause you can tell when someone's like, very manic or they're uh irritably and I can tell that my vulnerable post has hit something right and so I used to just delete their comics I'm like oh they're not they're not happy they don't love it but now I try to respond back like just just kindly like do you know what I mean and just oh sure oh yeah because I want to be like what do you mean I work so hard on this but I would be like hey friend you know that actually hurts my feelings please tell me more about this and I'm trying to have those and you know what nine times out of 10, if they weren't really, really sick, they'll be like, you know what? Hey, I just had like, you know, this appointment and that, I know. and we can have that. So, but I have to be really hard to not knee jerk. If I knee jerked online, I, I would. Well, it, it hurts myself. our, yeah, it really hurts our work. And yeah, but the online world has been wonderful. And I, I'm in an interesting situation because I started in 2002. So everything I've done has been online. Yeah. So I never had a career in this career in the bipolar world that wasn't yeah. on. Yeah. So I'm really used to it, but there's yeah. a reason people can't get in touch with me very easily. You yeah. have to curate it, right? You cannot have your email out there. You cannot let people contact you and know where you live. Yeah. Or that kind of thing. yeah. And that's the, with me, the meeting one-on-one, right? Like I'm just not comfortable. I've had people try to call me through Instagram and I'm just, I, don't, I, I'm, yeah. I'm not. I answer all my direct messages, but my, I, I started, I was the first, you know, coach in, in the bipolar yeah. field. I started so many years ago, but I'd never have worked. I don't work with somebody who has the illness because 
first of all, as a coach, what a coach does is it, it connects people to services. So that's what yeah. it does. So I work with their doctors or lawyers. I do a lot of court work in this kind wow. of thing. But it's, first of all, the main thing about working with people with bipolar, and I include myself, is they don't show up for appointments. So it was, it was a, whereas if it's a parent and partner, they're there every time. That's interesting. It was just more of a scheduling kind of situation. And that's why I answer all my DMs. If somebody's in struggle, I answer my DMs. Yeah, me too. And you can't do I that do if you have, have too many followers. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I'm behind. I, I needed. I'm a little behind right now, but I'll catch yeah. up. Yeah. And I tell people that, and I say, if I did, like, if it's been a couple months and I missed it, send it again. Cause send maybe it, it got, you know, but it, it's. Mm -hmm you know, the Instagram's gotten, gotten quite big. And I forget, like, I thought Julie and I's moms would listen to this podcast when we first started. And it made me realize, and I think that's what gives me like once a month, I want to tear everything down. I'm just like, oh my gosh, it's all out there. It's terrible. I'm terrible. Take it all down. And then I breathe. And then I remind myself of why my brain is telling me this. And then, and then I go, I'm curious, you, we were, we're talking a little bit about work, a little bit about social media. Um, I would love to talk about like work and bipolar disorder disclosure or how hard it is to, um, uh, yeah. what people have talked to you about how mm. hard it is to work. Like you've mentioned about you, you know, you can work or be in relationship. You can hide out and, and be, you know, manage best you can, but still be sick, but to put out a product. So you, you know yourself really well. Um, yeah, I would love to talk about that because a lot of people I know, including myself, struggle, struggle with the, the work idea. Well, my best advice is, is that if you're in a job where your bipolar is not getting in the way, then you don't have to say anything. It's your, it's your business. But as someone like myself, so I'll tell you, I, when I was doing my sports marketing and I, I'm a world cup specialist. And so from about, I think I started in 20, I'm trying to think when I, I started a long time ago. So I've done five sort of like five major world cup campaigns. And then the last years that I did it, I did the women's world cup as well because it's gotten so famous. Right. And I remember sitting down with the people I worked with and I usually would we'd do it through a pub. And then I worked with Nike and ESPN and all this kind of stuff. I sat down and I said, I have a paranoid psychotic disorder and bipolar. You know that because I'm all over the internet. Yeah. You will not be able to tell people that I am your marketer, which is really sad because it, it, these enormous things would happen and nobody knew they were attached to me, but oh. it's the only way I could do it. So recognition is not pleasant for me. I said, you will have days where I will be saying things like, I'm getting the feeling that, you know, this isn't going well and I'm fighting this and I'm worried that people are mad at me and you, you will have to know that here's what you say to me. I need you to learn about bipolar disorder and my work. And then we leave it at that. And then it is up to me to manage it. Yeah. I often feel weird. Like here I am doing this high, amazing, incredible job. Um, I did one event um, where I did most of the coordinating with all of the ESPN and all the stuff. And then the amazing English pub where I was working. And then they did a lot of the stuff. It, anyway, it's a very long thing. And Nike brought a big screen. And I remember sitting there and there were over 3000 people who came to this event. And I had to leave because I got so paranoid. And I watched the World Cup final at home by myself while crying. And there was nothing anyone could do about it. Yeah. There was nothing that I could have done differently. I did my job, but the fact that I don't get to enjoy it, it's, and I think that might be one of the reasons I don't really do that work anymore is that if you're not going to get the recognition and the name and the clients having to do everything almost in secret because I get so sick. So it's a trade-off 
if the reward of the work for me, writing books is just a nightmare while doing them because they're difficult. They're like 500 pages, right? Oh yeah. But holding the book in my hand, like the last edition of Take Charge, worth it. Yep. There it is. Worth it. Look at the cover, man. It's fantastic. Beautiful. Worth it. But in the moment, I have notes the whole time. I can't do this. I'm going to die. I can't do this. This is miserable. Why do I do this? So I write it out. I let myself go through it. I cry. I talk to my agent, whatever. But we still get a project and I still do it on time. So the actual book is worth it. Whereas if I had a job where there weren't an output, where I didn't like my work, where maybe I had trouble with coworkers, no way could I do that level of work. So it comes down to is the reward of the work and whatever bipolar comes up worth it? Or do you do a job that doesn't affect your bipolar? So it might not be as exciting. It might not be where you want to be, but it allows you to make money, support yourself, and then go home and be yourself. There is no easy answer. Now, if you do need accommodations at work because of your bipolar, then 100% tell them. For example, in the United States and Canada, sort of simple, similar, you can have a psychiatrist say that you have to have a room with a window. You can have a psychiatrist say that you have to have this many breaks or this kind of thing because it's a disability. I mean, it's really a disability, right? Yeah. But then you feel embarrassed. That's been a hard one for me. And so I hard. Right. You feel embarrassed and you're like, oh my gosh, here I am. What are they? I'm a sales manager and they're going to think I need to. And you're like, all right. So once again, it's all Mm trade-off. Does that mean I'm going to be able to keep my job if I don't do that? And I stay silent or am I going to burn out, get sick, get manic or depressed or psychotic and quit or get fired? So maybe I need to grow up a little bit. You know, if I were in a wheelchair, I would have to ask for accommodations. So when I work with anybody with my last publishing company, I had a new editor, told her all of this. You're, you might get a weird email from me. I'll try not to, but you might. You'll notice that I have trouble. You might notice that I'm psychotic. You might notice that I'm crying. Work through it. She was great, but I had to tell her. Yeah. And it's that's just hard. how it is. I yeah. had to tell her. For just me, how it is. it's a little, a little weird because um, I'm uh, a teacher. So before I had my children, I taught full time only for like a couple of years. And Mm -hmm. um, because then I had my children, I stayed home. But I, um, I remember when I first got the job, I didn't eat or sleep for like six months. I was so excited about my job and everything. And I eventually leveled out and could do it. But knowing when I went back with my kids, I like to say it's a choice. Um, and it is, but also I know deep down that full-time teaching, if I went back to the classroom full-time, I wouldn't, I can't work full-time. I wouldn't be a good mom. I wouldn't be. And luckily, like my husband, were, I, I have that privilege. We have a renter so that I don't have to work full-time, but I still do love teaching. So everybody's like offers me jobs all the time, but I've been TOC yeah. for over 10 years and it works for me. This is what happens because people with bipolar are brilliant. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to deny that. We are a bit upset. We have an odd kind of intelligence. We're not necessarily Mm -hmm. smarter, but there's no question we are learners. People with bipolar, I call us polymath autodidactic. We're self-learners with lots of interest. We like like to travel. And it's not just the mania, it's us. But, you know, I can imagine people listening to this and going, well, gosh, maybe you guys have the luxury of working part-time. And I, yeah. I want to encourage people, well, then you're on disability part-time and working part-time. You find 
a way around this. Or maybe you do have to accept help from a partner or a family member. Maybe you do. I live with a family member. I don't have any desire to live alone. Yeah. There's no way I can buy support and run a big house anymore. I did it when I was younger. It's impossible. Yeah. So I am not embarrassed about the need. If I'm in a relationship with a partner and he wants us to be together, there's no way I can work the way I work now. He will not get my attention. Yeah. So we would have to talk about you know, where money goes and what we do. I think people get the idea that not working and not supporting yourself is a bad thing. Yeah. There are many people who give love and attention and oh. parenting and kindness and help and, and helping around the house who are lovingly supported by a partner or family. Yeah. I've been so lucky. Now I've had times I do have to support myself, right? So I think people with bipolar have to find work. If we don't have someone on the outside helping us with money, we have to find work that pays in a way that we can work less if we're really sick. Yeah. Or we have to learn to live within our means if we're on disability and then supplement that. We know how to make cash. You know what I mean? We know what to do. And the internet has allowed a lot of this. And I guess the most important thing about this topic is that, first of all, it's ever-changing. I'm 59. I'm going to be 60 soon. And I still have to find a work-life balance. It's mm -hmm. still hard for me. It never got easier. Right. It never got easier right. because I have bipolar. But I have enormous goals and dreams. Another thing that you can do is exchange. In other words, with something you're good at, you can exchange it. Let's say you're great at cleaning houses. Believe me, you can trade that for somebody who's great at graphic design. You, They will trade it. And I've learned that bartering system made a really big difference for me as I was awesome. especially learning better about my work and what to do. But I'm never going to say it's easy. I don't know many people with bipolar who simply go work a 40, 50, 60 hour job without having some kind of substance problem. Yeah. Or they crash. You can or do they it crash. for a time period yeah. and then crash. So there are, are they out there? Of course they are. There are certain types of bipolar where meds work great and you can do this, but you know what? Let's be honest. It's rare. Yeah. It's rare. I found you that once, crash. yeah, I found mm -hmm. that once I could, I, I, I know you said it somewhere. I know it was something to do. I found it really freeing where you were talking about how like, you know, managing your bipolar first and, and such. Cause I treat bipolar first. It's the only way I live. It's the only way yeah. I survive. Cause I'm and it means saying it for no. a long time. And I, you know, I know I still have it. I know. And then I'm surprised. Like, I can't believe I'm in an episode. Like that's right. Where did, what? I was doing so well. Not again. Well, yes, again. You know, know, and I was beating myself up <laughs> over it. And my favorite thing is how you just talk about, like, I won't apologize for it because I feel like for a but wait, I, I, it's not, it's not that I would not apologize. I'm not going to apologize for having bipolar. Yeah. I absolutely yeah. would apologize if my mood swings got in the way yeah. or if I was unkind or if I said something, oh, I absolutely would apologize, but I don't have to apologize for my bipolar because I'm yes. not. Yeah. Like and that's what, what I mean, because I feel like I spent, you know, one of my biggest core wounds is being misunderstood as makes sense now. Um, and, but also I feel like I spend a lot of time and I still have to undo that stigma. Uh, you know, it's of almost apologizing for like my existence. Do you know what I mean? I, I do. And often I, I so understand. And often that's a depression because we, those are depression. That's how I can tell when I'm in a mood swing is that things are just harder when I'm in a downswing, because I think when we're stable, euthymia, when we're stable, I don't think we have thoughts like that. I don't think we think about our bipolar that much. 
So it's either ignoring it and not seeing it when we're manic or being so entrenched in the depression. But when we're stable, we sort of just get on with life and then maybe too much. And then that's when the mood swing hits us again. I don't have a lot of stability because the kind of bipolar I have is pretty constant, but I don't dwell on my bipolar the way I did when I was really depressed all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think the one thing, like it's been such a beautiful thing, um, the podcast and this, and it's actually like really changed my life and been very healing, but I'm not going to lie about the hard things, right? I didn't talk about my bipolar this much, which is healing and beautiful. That's But also I feel like I'm reminded every day. So some days I just, you know, I don't want to be reminded, but then I'm like this, even though this is hard, it's, it's better than the stuffing down, but it wasn't as much on my radar. Now that I'm podcasting, I'm showing up on Instagram. I'm this, I didn't, think about it as much but I think it's helping when like what you talk about taking charge is that it would surprise me before because I don't think I thought about it enough that's interesting so because it's your work now you have to look at it more and and I I just want to encourage you know the listener that we're all on this sort of journey and Mm -hmm. I think we're much more accepting let's say that you do have a friend with diabetes and let's say especially if it's diabetes one right where they have Mm -hmm. to use insulin pump like your friend they have to think about their diabetes all of the time because you have to be careful about what you're eating. You have to be careful with exercise, with stress, all of this. It's really similar for us. And if we see it as a physical illness, I think that's a lot easier. I don't have the, first of all, I'm not scared. I used to be very, very scared because Mm -hmm. I was very close to dying many, many, many times. I have psychotic suicidal depression. And now that I've learned to manage that and I have some meds that help, et cetera, the fear of the bipolar, I'm still mad. I still hate my bipolar. It's, it really, really is a disability for me. Can't speak for everybody. It keeps me from doing many things, but I'm not as scared of it. And, and my management skills match the bipolar now, whereas before the bipolar was stronger than my management because I can't take very many meds. So I'm better now at management and I really do not need as much help as I used to. I can do most self and most of my, my management is internal now. Yeah. Well, that's, and that includes around practice, right? Like just doing this same thing. Cause I find like rhythms are hard for me. I'll do them perfectly or not at all. Right. That's right. That's. mm -hmm. And I think I've figured out for myself with the work is that um, even it, like, I can't just teach. Like, that's why I have the podcast, like, but not too many before we are so I'm like to the T I need more creative outlets. And mm-hmm. like, I am, I'm proud of myself that I've stuck with this. Like when Julie was going to write her book, I'm like, Oh, I don't know. Or maybe Can I, I do, do something entirely new. I should start a new business. And then I was like, that is your bipolar. Well, you know what? Bravo. Because you're that insight that you have of, can I take this on? Can I keep this going? Who's relying on me? What can I do? And it's not only maturity. We can also get that at a very young age too, by realizing what do I want? Because if I don't manage my bipolar, it's going to take everything from me anyway. So why not sit back and decide, do I want to get my master's? Do I, how do I finish college? Am I going to take that trip to Europe? How do I treat bipolar first? That's the whole thing that I teach in my books and that's prevention. And doctors cannot teach us this because they don't have enough time. No, no. And, and so, and I don't know, I know it's different own. in the private system, but here you would be appalled because it doesn't matter if you're in crisis or not. You go, you, your choices are emerge 
or be on a year and a half. It's the same. Yeah. It's the same here. I have so many clients where their loved ones are in a stress. And for example, just got out of the hospital in July, next appointments in November. And it was not like that before COVID. So we have, you know, we have a huge, there's a big movement that I'm a part of. I'm not much of an advocate because I can't do, you know, politics and all that. I tend to get sick, but we need to remove bipolar from um, psychiatry. It needs to go to neurology. Um, Psychiatry, as much as I love my co-author whom I loved, he died of cancer, but one of my best friends, all of my psychiatrist friends who are my mentors, Dr. Jim Phelps, who wrote the intro to Take Charge, they are the greatest and when I look at what they do, they are so much more than just a pill or just a, an appointment for 20 minutes. And we need to move these to neurology. This is a neurological genetic illness. There's yeah. no, I don't think there's any question. And we need to look more at like, there's a book that just came out called Brain Energy by Dr. Chris Palmer. And mm-hmm. I interviewed him for Take Charge. And that's this new work that's coming with keto. And there's a whole new th- way of looking at these illnesses called the metabolic theory of these illnesses, Mm. which is that those of us who have the illnesses have a different kind of metabolism. So the way that we manage our bodies through sleep and what we eat, et cetera, we can use that to get better. It's not saying that what we eat gives us bipolar. That's impossible because people in China have the same amount of bipolar as people in Ireland. And yeah. you could not have two more different diets. And I remember so you that. said, one thing you said is it's an, I held on to this for some reason. I love the wording about being an ancient illness. It's an Tell ancient. Me what do you mean about that? Is, well, literally you can look at the oldest written parts of, there's an Egyptian scrolls and the Greeks and all of this. And then I'm sure in China, you have the same thing. 3000 BC talked about epilepsy, diabetes, schizophrenia, and bipolar. Wow. 3000 BC. The symptoms have not changed. It's now thought, and of course you would add depression because you've got the mood. All of those are considered genetic. Mm. Are they always genetic? We don't, bipolar I think is always genetic, but others, whatever. They're all considered now to be metabolic illnesses that affect, it's the the effect of all of the organs that put out the hormones, including our brain is an organ. And that insulin, the way insulin is created, the way food gives us energy, there's a chance maybe that people with bipolar are not getting brain energy from their food, especially the inability to metabolize carbs. And it has nothing to do with weight gain. It has nothing to do with it. And this is a new theory. And it's the only theory I've seen in a very, very long time that makes sense because we know that meds work for us. So it has to be neurological. It cannot be trauma. It's bipolar is not trauma-based. Trauma affects bipolar, but it's not trauma-based. We know that norepinephrine, dopamine, acetylcholine, serotonin, dopamine, all those serotonin, excuse me, um, cortisol, melatonin. We know that if we take any kind of substance that affects those, it affects our bipolar. Mm -hmm. Or if we take a med that helps with that, it can help our bipolar. We know it's neurological. We know it's brain chemistry. So if we can eat in a certain way, and it's not the keto diet for many people is not pleasant. It's not a weight loss. It's, it's a neurological change. And we can start, especially GABA, which I don't think I mentioned, uh, affecting GABA, which is sleep, because bipolar is a sleep disorder. Yeah. So I highly recommend looking at brain energy, looking at 
the keto diet for epilepsy. There's a place called the Charlie Foundation that talks about that. And that's where my research has been for three years and where it's going to go for the future. Because what we have now is not enough. Psychiatry, as much as I love a lot of people in psychiatry, it has failed us. Yeah. It has failed oh, us. Oh, can I be honest though? It scares me when you say that. Just because when I'm depressed, I have such disordered eating or I get like hyper-focused or, but, uh, and well, and I'm vegetarian. This, this is why- scary. But it's like- I also have an eating disorder. And this is why this is so important. The keto that you're seeing on Instagram is not the keto I'm talking about. Okay. Keto simply means that you're getting your energy from high quality fats, such as olives or, or coconut or avocado versus okay. getting your energy from glucose, from carbohydrates. Mm. It's not a good or a bad thing. So for example, a healthy person who doesn't have bipolar could eat a Mediterranean diet, or I live in France and Japan. Those are not low carb diets and they don't get sick from them. So it's not saying that one food or another food is bad. Right. It is actually changing the way the body metabolizes the food okay. so that then the blood and all of the stuff that is affected which is usually by the insulin, doesn't create what many of us get called metabolic syndrome from our medications, because mm. that's why we can gain weight, even though we right. haven't changed our eating. So the new theory is just like an epilepsy, it must be that insulin and insulin production is affecting the way our organs create the neurotransmitter. This is a theory, by the way. Mm. So it's, I understand about, oh my gosh, not a diet. That sounds horrible, <laughs> but it is a medical diet. Okay. So for example, if you had IBS, irritable yes. bowel syndrome or celiacs, yeah. nobody's going to say, oh my gosh, a diet without gluten. Instead, they're going to say, here's a way that you're not running to the bathroom every 10 minutes and you're scared to go to a movie. Yeah. That's what the, this new ketogenic metabolic therapy right. diet is looking at. It's not the bacon, eggs, cheese, pepperoni, okay. or chocolate thing that you see on yeah. Instagram. There's nothing wrong with that. I call that basic keto. It's great for weight loss. This actually is much more nuanced and much more oriented towards the, the movement of neurotransmitters. Okay. So for example, many of us have movements from our meds and the keto diet is very, very good at helping with, with GABA. So there's now research now to see if when somebody is given an antipsychotic, if they're also given a prescription and help of following a keto diet, can it prevent tardive dyskinesia? So this is a medical diet. This is not about weight loss. Yeah, yeah. So if and someone was listening right now, I want mm -hmm. to be very clear. They would talk to a doctor about this and not, you know, not right, just well, buy and a that's book what, and, and that's where that's where my research is coming in. So you yeah. can everybody can go to juliefast.com and there's a yeah. keto. You'll see a quote from Dr. Chris Palmer and all the nutritionists I work with. There are ketogenic nutritionists around the world who already work in epilepsy. We're now starting, there's a, a group called the Bazuki Foundation. In fact, when I send you the info for, you talked about, you know, all my yeah. bio and my pictures, I'll send you the links to this because believe me, this is our future. And I would say in 10 years, everybody with bipolar is going to be taught about the ketogenic diet. Okay, in so fact, I was Palmer's listening book right is, now and I was really excited, but I was like, I don't know what to do with that information that I just got. Right, so we have to learn. And that's why, so I, I'm doing a 12-week research program right now and I'll mm. be putting, and I'm going to write a book. And my book is going to be different though. So my book is, what do you need to know about keto to get started with keto? I'm okay. not taking people to do keto. It's too hard. Okay. Yeah. And this research group, I'll, in fact, I'll share one piece of info about the research group. Yes. 
There are 24 people in the group, which is a very good sample size. I had almost 140 people answer a Facebook, excuse me, an Instagram post in one weekend saying, I want to be in this group. Then about 60 applied. And then I took about 27. Two had to leave because they were manic, which is fine. One just had to leave because it was too much. No problems there. But I have 17, I think, people with bipolar and four with family members okay. who are either a partner or family member. I can 100% tell you the difference between the way the family members are learning about this and practicing it is so profoundly different than those of us with bipolar that I cannot even describe it. So if you look at just, and I'm teaching it in a different way, um, and I'm not teaching people how to do keto. I'm teaching people about keto so that they can decide what they want to do, right. whether they're going to do basic or work with a nutritionist. People with bipolar, those, and I include myself in this, need at least double the time to learn the topic than the four. Now, it's a small sample group, but I've seen this in my other work, than the four people without bipolar. The people with keto have a much, excuse me, with bipolar have a much more emotional attachment to changing the diet than the four without bipolar. The people with bipolar are react to the keto diet much differently. It's a lot more difficult. It is, um, it can cause mania versus the four people who are stable. Interacting with the research project because there's some requirements. There's a lot yeah. to do and read. A thousand times easier for the four people without bipolar. I'm literally watching just by accident because I thought, oh, I'm going to figure out how to best teach bipolar. I am watching how hard it is for people with bipolar to do something new versus stable people. I, I can't even, I, I, so for example, on Facebook, I do a lot of interaction because it's a private group yeah. and you can see who's commenting and right at the top are the four. And by the way, I'm not complaining because I want their input. Yeah, yeah. Here's what I did today. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I read. Um, they're probably 80% of comments. Yep. And that's why my work is with parents, partners, and healthcare professionals, because those of us with bipolar, we need time, we need support, we need help. I'm not suggesting somebody listening to this goes and starts keto. It's too yeah. hard. Yeah. Go start learning. Start with take charge. It's got the keto section. Look at my yeah. website. Write me on Instagram. I've got a um, I'm starting, I have a Instagram keto page, which I don't do much with yet. But and cool. then read about it. Read Dr. Palmer's book, Brain Energy, okay. and realize. Keto, if it works, means less meds, not no meds. I'm not saying that. Less yeah. side effects, less medication weight gain, less metabolic syndrome, less tardive dyskinesia. And that's very well documented. What's not documented is if it's going to help us manage mania and psychosis. Right. And so we're very clear that it works with epilepsy, movement, sleep, that kind of thing. Very clear it works with weight loss. But we have many years of research until we can say that it is going to help us manage bipolar. But I, I'm going, I'm all in. I'm on year four, and so far I have not been able to stay on a keto diet consistently because I have side effects. So that tells me it's working like a medication. Interesting. Yeah. Ah, interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. I'll send you more info for when we. I would love that because I actually the only time that I have had some like. Oh, I didn't talk to you about talking about this. Okay, so two problems I'm having with online are, it seems like now everybody that has bipolar is now calling themselves a bipolar coach. 
which I'm struggling. Well, it's, it's, it's a big struggle. In fact, I have to be very careful because as the first, literally I was, which I was, I normally am the first, I started 13 years ago and there was no such thing as a bipolar coach, but you'll notice that my coaching, I do it through two private groups for partners, the stable bed, and then yeah. through parents and caregivers, the stable table. I also work as a healthcare professional trainer, yeah. and continuing education trainer. I would never ever work with someone with bipolar or call myself a coach of people with bipolar that's dangerous see that's what i think too but i know i'm like need to find another word like a peer well you can say if you want to say peer support or support and i and i i am very careful i've had a very long career i started in my 30s i'm now almost 60 i'm not ever having controversy Um, people can be very cruel people can be very upset i am I also have a system. I'm systematic. People read my books, but I watch, I can give you some background because I, I speak, I'll speak to anybody in the bipolar community because that's my, that's my giving, right? I give. And I have absolutely had some people who have large followings, et cetera, get manic and be so awful and horrific to me in direct message that I won't work with them anymore. And they are saying, I'm a bipolar coach. I'm a bipolar peer specialist. And I'm like, that's fine, but we all need checks and balances. If I'm manic or depressed or psychotic, you will not see me online. I remove myself until I get myself well enough to come back. So there is an integrity we have to have. I would never, ever call myself a coach of people with bipolar. That's why you don't see on Instagram coach. Yeah. yeah. I've been really struggling with sealing it. And it's like beautiful people with good hearts and that they can. Well, it's fine. And I think they they do good work, but you, you, their liability is enormous and you'll see a lot of people who do that crash and burn. Yeah. And so the product, all of a sudden you you see these apologies that come up. I'm sorry. And I'm like, I'm not going there as a person with bipolar. I control myself. So I'm not knocking anybody else's work or what they do. No, no, no. I just feel like tread like like I just feel like yeah. that's a because mm-hmm. someone's like Be very oh, very careful coach I'm like I 100 percent I'm not a, like I just the word it's well I think I think if people understand what coaching right if people understand what coaching is I'm not a therapist I'm not a doctor but and actually truthfully I'm much more than a coach because I do court work so I'm a court I'm an expert right yeah and that's a little bit different but then I've written like nine books and I've been trained by psychiatrists from all over the world it's a little bit different But in coaching, what you're doing is you're encouraging someone and helping someone find the resources needed. Mm -hmm. But if you're talking to somebody about their personal bipolar, that's difficult. And I won't do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. I'm glad you, you said that. But that's just me. Once again, please know there's so many people out there who help and who work and who are doing things. And I don't want anybody to think I'm putting down their choices. I'm only talking about for myself, for my integrity. And that's why I've never gotten in trouble with anything that I do. I've never had a lawsuit. Yeah, I've never. And I think harm. it's just the word yeah. for me. I'm just like, oh, I just want. Well, it's the N word now, be right? Be careful. Be careful, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's but the, the N word. Be a bipolar yeah. buddy or a cool peer, thing. right? Yeah. But anyways, right. that's sidetrack. What I want to talk to you about is mm-hmm. something that a lot of people don't um, talk about online, and I love how you take this head on. I would love for you to talk to us about what you know about bipolar and substances, because I get a ton of messages. I know I have an addictive personality. I know that, so I don't, I don't even touch a sip of alcohol or anything. Um, I don't judge people that do, but I also know your research says 
no, 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 no. So can for certain you, things, yes, for certain. can you speak right. to the things mm -hmm. that, um, yeah, like substances and bipolar and the things that you know, because I'm always sitting at your feet when you talk about these things. Well, I started sort of by accident. Um, I started a research project when cannabis marijuana was legalized for the first time in the world in 2012 in the United States, completely by accident. Um, I had used a lot of weed. I smoked a lot of weed in the 80s. And so I'm not anti-weed. So when this new weed came out, and I had been a coach for two years at that time, right. very successful. And I started to see people writing me and saying, my loved one did this, they did that. He's in, and I'm like, that's that's not bipolar. Is this schizophrenia, et cetera? So within two years of the legalization of cannabis, my entire coaching business, which was helping parents, partners, and healthcare professionals get people bipolar in care and schizophrenia, schizoaffective care, completely changed. And in the space of two years, almost everything became about the incredible increase in psychosis that we were seeing because of the high THC in cannabis. And at first I didn't believe it. At first I thought this is, an this is not happening. But by mm -hmm. 2014, it was so obvious to me that we had an enormous problem. And that's when this re the big research I'm, I did started. I spent the last, it has been 15 years, but in 2014, cannabis was added. Substances that affect the bipolar brain. And so I created a list that I didn't put out until this year because I wanted to make sure it's in a book. So in the second edition of Take Charge, there's a whole chapter that everybody with bipolar who cares about bipolar, someone, a healthcare professional, et cetera, must read called the Bipolar Significant Seven. And it's seven categories of substances that always, always can affect the bipolar brain. So some of the categories include stimulants. We don't like stimulants. We actually, people with bipolar love stimulants, but yeah. our brain <laughs> likes stimulants because they affect serotonin, they affect dopamine, they affect so many things. So if you look at meth, cocaine, Adderall, all of those kind of things, you just need to know that a stimulant is going to affect the bipolar brain. That's why I am not a believer in using stimulants in bipolar, because if you do Ritalin, Adderall, Concerta, all these things, you have to add an antipsychotic on top of it or we'll get manic. Right. I can't imagine putting something in my brain where I have to add a heavy mood stabilizer or antipsychotic on the top of it. Do stimulants help us? Yes, but they make us manic, right? So another thing is, is a lot of people think, oh, caffeine. Well, truthfully, caffeine in the morning is not going to bother you. And caffeine does not automatically cause mania. It doesn't. Caffeine affects sleep that can affect bipolar. So caffeine's not on my list, even though it's a stimulant. Um, amino acids, supplements, an enormous problem. Amino acids are enormously effective in wow. creating serotonin changes, et cetera. Well, why do you think people love five-hour energy and monster? It's not the caffeine and sugar. It's the amino acids. It's the taurine and the carnitine. Those are just pure on, those are amino acid drinks and they make right. us manic. We like them. Steroids, whether they be illegal or not illegal, SARMs, all this kind of stuff, enormous problem. But the number one problem we're having right now is it's the resurgence of hallucinogenics. And I'm not anti-drug. I don't care what someone does, but it's destroying, destroying our bipolar world. So when weed was legalized, what they were supposed to legalize because nobody had checks and balances was the weed we had in the eighties. And that is a very low THC, high CBD weed. And the CBD is the calming. It helps with sleep. It's like munchy. It's cool. You think you're having fun. The THC is the full-on stimulating hallucinogenic. So in the 80s, the percentage of THC, if you bought weed off the street or you grew it in the plants you had, was about 4%. Average THC right now, if you're really going for it, is 40. It's oh. 10 times stronger. 
If yeah. you dab, the THC in your product is 80 to 90%. And dabbing is where you take a bud and it's yeah. a long, I, I'm a cannabis an educator. I yeah. can answer the question. I'm not anti-weed, but we cannot touch this stuff. I call it, when I first started writing about it in 2014, which nobody wanted me to do, I called it the new psychotic pot. And I could not figure out, I smoke weed for, so I smoke hash. I, I mean, I lived in Japan. I lived in Thailand. I had all these drugs. No way is this the same. And so I wouldn't touch it. I won't even be in the same room with it. And I educated my nephew, who's now 21. If you want to make sure you don't get bipolar, you're not touching that weed. He has helped so many of his friends who've gotten psychotic from this weed. Wow. And another thing, and once again, not anti-weed. All of them, I'm from Portland, Oregon. People use weed. I don't care. But if you have bipolar, playing with fire, it's nitroglycerin for our brain. The main problem that legalization of cannabis has done as well is it opened up the drug world again. We had not had a big drug world since the 60s. Now I see psilocybin. And for example, magic mushroom, psilocybin is not a treatment for bipolar. It will make you psychotic. So you don't, I don't care if it's being used. For is TF. that what people are doing with the microdosing? Absolutely. Yeah. And so it's like, I don't care if you can use it for PTSD. I love it. Use it for depression. I don't care. But you have a bipolar brain. Also the over-the-counter stuff that I'm seeing now, unbelievably dangerous for people with bipolar. Yeah. For example, there's a substance called ashwagandha, which is an old Indian Ayurvedic herb. It's great for people who have adrenal fatigue or depression who don't have bipolar, but it's a serotonin drug. Oh. It's a or herb. So if you take it, you're going to get manic and no sitol. So the bipolar significant seven list and if you go to juliefast.com, you'll see BPS7. It's there. Yeah. Believe me, we must learn this. I've gotten sick from every substance you can imagine. I have to be careful if I get surgery because I'll get sick from the, oh, really? the anesthesia. Yeah. I get sick from antibiotics. They've got mold. I can get manic from antibiotics. So everybody with bipolar needs to learn and memorize the bipolar significant seven list. And we have to be very careful because we know that bipolar is genetic. So some of these substances can pop out bipolar in our children. So for example, right. giving an antidepressant, which affects mm -hmm. serotonin, that creates mania to a 14-year-old who's depressed, who has a dad with bipolar, can bring out the bipolar. So mm -hmm. I'm very serious about this. And all of my work, I have at least three psychiatrists who read my work. And Dr. Jim Phelps, my beloved co-author, um, the amazing psychopharmacologist, um, John Preston, and then Dr. Jay Carter have looked over all of my research. And yeah. then the publishing company have their own vetting. So this is my research. Right. I also put my mania and the eyes research in there and physical changes and all that. So it's all in Take Charge of Bipolar. But I can't tell you enough. If you want to use weed, use weed. I really don't. I mean, it's your choice but it's going to eventually make your bipolar worse. Yeah. And it's, it's a personal choice. I won't even smell it anymore. And I used to love it. I used to think yeah. it was fun and I won't touch it now. So that's my best advice is that we've created a monster. Mm -hmm. We had a regular, regular drug that was not a gateway drug. It was not addictive. And we've created a super powerful drug right. that eventually is going to have to be regulated. We're moving towards it now. They're going to have to start um, regulating the amount of THC. It's too strong. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Read the Bipolar Significant 7 chapter. Yeah, chapter have, 5. If you, if you read that, you can see my theory. I really don't care what's going on in the moment. Yeah. Because in bipolar disorder, if you've got bipolar genes, for example, for example, with my nephew, they wanted to give him steroids for his really bad acne. It's like, no, it's not going to happen. Because in the moment, you might not have a bad reaction. But the bipolar brain, bipolar is cumulative. 
So adding an SNRI, like Wellbutrin, for example, I understand that it's going to help. And I understand that it's better than an SSRI, I get it. But you are so exponentially increasing the risk of popping out genetic bipolar, which is the concept of epigenetics, which is the idea that yeah. some of us, like myself, psychotic at 16, manic at 17, no drugs, no anything, no trauma. It's yeah. naturally occurring bipolar. Mm -hmm. And then we also know if you've got somebody with bipolar in their family tree and they've never taken any meds or drugs and at age 30, they get depressed and they put them on Zoloft, the bipolar pops out. It's very well documented. That's yeah. the epigenetics theory that bipolar can be latent. I would yeah. never, ever give one of my relatives, either a cousin or my nephew or my own child, an SSRI or an SNRI. Never. So because what would you it do? could pop out bipolar. Yeah. I'd give them medication that doesn't create bipolar. Yeah, just because if they're having like suicidal ideation and all there are things. other medications. And I have to be very, very careful here because- yeah. I am not trying to give medical help, but I'll show, I'll yeah. show you what we did with my nephew, David. Okay. Yeah. So David me. is, if he ever does get bipolar, he would be fourth generation. I have three generations of bipolar tracked. We know it. It's there. I'm the third. I'm not letting my nephew, my beloved nephew get this. So when he had his first depression, we were like, here's what we can try. And there's just, there was just never a situation where he was going to put an SSRI and SNRI, but you then have to take it very serious. He has ADD, he has very high anxiety and he has depression. So you have to be careful. There are other medications. And in my case, I'll tell you what you can use, not for others, but Lamictal without question. Lamictal would always be the first choice. Second, lithium, lithium orotate. Third, a small amount of an antipsychotic. There's no question that there are other medications that can be used. Yeah. And I'm not discounting the suicidal. So think yeah. about this. You've got a child with a parent with bipolar who already has suicidal depression. They are on the cusp of bipolar. I can tell you that right now. And I bet if you put a serotonin or cannabis into that, you're going to pop out that bipolar because we know too much about this now. I yeah. simply cannot stress that we must think about them at age 50, not at age 15. Yeah. Because when I was given Zoloft at age 31, and it popped me back into mania, and then I was given 23 experimental medications, because in the 90s, all SSRIs were experimental, they were new, it popped me into such a worse version of bipolar than I ever had. Yeah. I'm an I am a adamant, I'm a hard line on this. Doctors I have to take your book because the doctors I, I don't care don't what the doctor listen. says. They like don't I, listen. And so no doctor, and I'll tell you, it's interesting. I'm so proud of my nephew. When his and he was about seven, 16 when this happened, when his literally his dermatologist said, We can give you a shot, he goes, Is that a steroid? He was 17, but he'd been raised mm -hmm. by me. Right. Help <laughs> about bipolar. Luckily, he goes, I can't take steroids of bipolar in my family tree. And I'm very proud of that doctor because she said, okay. Wow. So if, if you have a doctor who is discounting the science of the fact that literally years and years of science that SSRI and SNRI drugs can pop out mania in people with a genetic predisposition to bipolar disorder, then you need to educate that doctor. And that yeah. can come from me. Yeah. And that includes Adderall and Ritalin. And now am I saying, don't get your loved one help? Heck no, of course you have to. My nephew has been suicidal. He's open about it, but my goodness, it's so much worse to have bipolar and suicidal depression, right? Yeah. Yeah. So now there are other things that are coming out like the, the magnetic and ketamine. Unfortunately, those, if you have bipolar, mm. it, 
we're seeing some signs it could cause mania, but maybe those are a little bit safer for younger people. Once again, I'm not giving advice. I'm yeah, giving Of course, just from what you're experiencing. But there is nothing in my world that I would allow any of my children, I don't have children, but if I did, to take mm -hmm. an SSNRI or an SNRI without a mood stabilizer at the same time. So another option you have is to use a prophylactic mood stabilizer on top of the SNRI, which would okay. be, again, I am not giving advice. You must talk to the doctor. Yes, and plus doctors, we pay them. They are not our bosses. We work with them. I love doctors and mm -hmm. I think they are amazing. And I would not be here without my doctors, but they are often not educated about bipolar. Yeah. Even psychiatrists need to learn more about this and, and yeah. read the list, et cetera. Because well, I try it, to think of it like, instead of just being mad at all doctors, I try to well, think Well, you can't be like, mad. They're wonderful. No, I'm not mad I'm at Because I'm a substitute teacher, right? But you asked me to teach grade six, seven math, not mm -hmm. my specialty. Can I go in and teach grade six, seven? Am I qualified? Yes. So is this so a psychiatrist prescribing the SNRI or a GP? Uh, pediatrician. And, and unacceptable. You must educate the pediatrician and you must let them know, have them read the chapter. We are trying, my goal with writing this book, and I haven't done a lot of promotion. I'm going to be doing more in September. Buy the book. I'm promoting it right now. Thank you. I mean, I haven't done, I didn't, I have not done and done, usually I'm on TV and done all this. I was, yeah. I was well, and I had other things. And so we'll do more in the fall. But my goal is to prevent bipolar disorder in the next generation and pediatricians and GPs and anybody who specializes in ADD and childhood, anything has to understand if you have bipolar in your family tree, you cannot give a stimulant or any type of SSRI or SNRI antidepressant or steroids or ever recommend cannabis or anything if they're 18 to someone who has bipolar genetics. There is years and years and years of research to prove and show the epigenetic nature of bipolar. I do not want a child yeah. who doesn't have to get bipolar, who already has depression and suicidal behavior to have bipolar media pop out on it because it's permanent. Yeah. So and absolutely educate say, the pediatrician, not in a yeah. mean way, but simply say, we're not yeah. going to do this. Yeah. I need you to read this chapter. I need you to learn from Julie. And yeah. I need you to understand that this is for their future because I have bipolar. It's yeah. okay to learn something new. Doctors yeah. are great. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. So I'm not against, I'm, and I think it's great. The pediatrician is helping, but no, I would not do it. Yeah, no, thank you for that. Yeah. Um, and as um, a reminder, all of my work is seen by psychiatrists. And then I was trained by my unbelievable dear friend who I think, you know, died of cancer in 2020, but John Preston was a world famous psychopharmacologist. He trained me for 15 years. Yeah. yeah so I never yeah. give medical advice. I'll give info to take to a healthcare professional. Yes, so please, yes. anybody listening to this, yes. I'm telling you what to do, but I'm saying I would, I personally would never give those substances to my nephew. Yeah. Yeah, no. And he I'm writes it. He has a section. David, who when he was nineteen, wrote a section of the book. Yeah, yeah, that's powerful. Because what I get confused with too is that when people are like, "Well, you know, if it's uh, you know, they come to me and they're like, if it's if it's going to happen anyway, or oh, that's that's mind blowing. Or, that's that's like, you know, that's like driving your car at one hundred thirty miles an hour and saying you're going to wreck. Day. No, do not allow it. And then they say, well, how? How come some people get it and some people don't? And I'm like, I it's epigenetics. Sure. So I send them to yep. you, to yep. your page. Right. I mean, it's it's so. I have an article called "What What Is Epigenetics Theory?" It's from Health Central, and it explains there is so much research to show that somebody with a bipolar parent, for example, 
who has a depressive episode at age 40, never had signs of bipolar. You put them on, on Prozac, for example, they're manic and it's permanent. So once you express bipolar or you use weed because you think that it's your medicine, I'm yeah. depressed, it'll help my anxiety and I can sleep. And then the bipolar expresses. So that's called the epigenetics theory. Okay. But that part is not a theory. That part we know. Right. We know that that you can yeah. have latent bipolar. I am so hardline on this because I was so incorrectly medicated when I got bipolar and it's given me very permanent damage. Mm -hmm. And I'm not anti-meds, but I, I believe in bipolar protocol and antidepressants are not bipolar protocol. Yeah. They're not. Yeah, because it's interesting because a lot of people have the mood stabilizer and like I, I hear a lot of combos and I get people have comorbidities. It just gets so so complicated but i'm well like the research you, is but it, this is this is people not reading the research the research is is about 20 percent of people with bipolar one i mean yeah. you need to hear this um can get help with you know adding a antidepressant to a mood stabilizer but you have to increase the mood stabilizer and the or the antipsychotic on top of it because it will make you manic and there's other research that show i mean we're just looking at like at 20 percent and then with bipolar two, your main problem of doing that is you can pop someone into bipolar one. I just, I, and I understand depression. I've been suicidal and depressed my entire life. And I will never, I, I, the ECT is far, far safer than antidepressants. Really? Far safer. Lithium orotate. Um, oh, ECT is so much, ECT has a bad rep and it shouldn't. It, yeah. it can have side effects. There's no question, but it's definitely safer than an antidepressant. There's wow. so much research, yeah. but the drug companies don't want us to know. And doctors are, are too busy to yeah. do a little bit better. It's Lamictal all the way versus an antidepressant in my experience yes. and what somebody should talk about, because let's stop creating so much bipolar by drug use. It's, it's, yeah. It doesn't have to be this way. Yeah, I'm with you. Thank you for that. That was really, really, really powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, so for those of you that have been listening to me for the past six months, talking about the Patreon that I'm actually going to do because, hey. because I am being accountable because I keep saying it on here, it's coming together. Um, please, uh, go sign up and, um, I'm going to talk to Julie further, um, just after this, and that will be for Patreon only, but before we move on to that, because I could talk to you for 200 hours and I don't want to take away all your time. I'm just, I'm just so thrilled about this conversation. I would love to hear, I know we've been talking about lots of bipolar, bipolar info, and I know people just, um, you know, they love story and they love personal things. I would just love to hear, um, you know, a few things that, that you do in your, your daily life that just, um, just really help you. The number one thing to remember about bipolar mm. is that sleep is nature's medicine. Mm. If you can go to bed on the same day you woke up, you will change your life because this is a circadian rhythm illness. And how do we know that? Well, go try and work a night shift when you have bipolar or travel between, you know, Vancouver, BC and New York city a couple of times. If you have bipolar, it's a circadian rhythm illness. So if you can work in a way where you get to sleep before midnight mm. and wake up, you know, usually we're awake before, you know, 12 a.m. But if you can, for example, 11 to 7, if you yeah. can sleep 11 to 7, 10 to 6, you will see a difference that you won't believe. So to me, anything that affects my sleep is a no. Yeah. Changed my life. 
it made my life a lot more boring. <laughs> a good example is that when I was in my heavy party days, before I had knew I had bipolar, I was sick all of the time. A heavy partier, heavy. Yeah. Um, and when I realized that bipolar and learned about sleep disorder, I still partied like crazy, but no substances. And I was yeah. home by 11. Yeah. And how do you do that? Well, I had to find things. So that would be happy hour yeah. and karaoke because karaoke yeah. would start at eight where I lived and I would go for it two hours, three hours. And I'm usually, or leave by 11. I shouldn't say home by 11. I'd leave by 11. So here's a great big table of all my friends. They're drinking. I'd, I'd drink a little bit, but I, I didn't allow myself to get drunk. I could not do it. I'd have fun. I would be there. I'd be in, we'd had happy hour. We'd do this. I'd do it. And they're like, oh, pumpkin time. And I'd get up and leave. And if I didn't do that, yeah, I would meet a guy. I would get in a relationship I didn't want. I would be drunk and I would be sick. Mm -hmm. So that simple thing, and it wasn't easy, believe me, it was not easy. Yeah. Oh, I but agree. there's no way that you can party and use substances and manage bipolar, but that doesn't mean that you stop partying. And to be honest, mild drinking is not a big deal in bipolar. You know, having a couple of beers once in a while is not a big problem. It's, mm -hmm. you know, weed is much more of a problem, but it's the sleep. So that's my best advice. So for example, I just took on a very big coaching situation recently, and I'm trying to move out of coaching and move more into my, you know, doing my work on videos. And I woke up at 4am thinking about it. And right there I was like, nope, nope. Oh nope. no. Yeah. So it yeah. means less money. It means saying no, it means having to, but nope, no, that is my sign. Like worried at 4am and not getting back to sleep and sleep's already hard for me. That has to be a sign. It's a, it is a line that I cannot cross. And that means travel is hard and work is hard. And so that's my best advice. Oh, that it is. And to others, it sounds so simple to some people. Oh, it's not and simple. It, it's hard it for us. It is a daily struggle for me. Like uh, my brain tells me, steal the night. You're absolutely. It's so. Oh, and here it is. It's ten o'clock, and you've just gotten sighted, and you're feeling good, and you're like, my gosh, my depression's gone. Oh my! And I'm like, nope. You're turning off the light. You're taking your sleep. Yeah. No, you have to. Yeah, and I learned from you just this past year about uh, dark therapy, and I it makes sense to do that as well like be in a dark room get in a dark room book on tape so you get yes. you have to turn off the big tv and you have to turn off the excitement and all the videos and the scrolling yeah. I lie I call it my recovery position I put my legs up sometimes I'll put an ice pack on my back because it's a lot of this right. has to do with eating yeah. Um, and I have, a, I call it my manic recovery position it is boring. And I take a lot of extra sleep meds and I'm allowed to do a book on tape. Yeah, I do. And I try and pick a nonfiction. Cause if I get too into the story, you get too into it, you won't do it. It's, yeah. and this sounds boring, but you know what? So you don't go to the hospital. Yes. And I don't, I don't find the hospital exciting, No. you know? No, I don't, no. I don't want to be, you know, manic in some strange yeah. guy's hotel room again. Yeah. This is what you have to do. It doesn't, my I life's not boring. It was it's not boring. Yeah. But, and I thought it was like me, I'm all or nothing. So I'm like, well, I have to do it for at least two hours, but I found even cause I didn't have much time on my European. I mean, I didn't make the time of my European vacation or I was never alone. Right. Or I had my kids and my husband and we're staying in small spaces, but it, even if I would just get them to go and I would do like 10 minutes, it's this, enormous. I noticed the difference. I really your, absolutely. You're not bubbling up that mania. You're not allowing it to take over. You're getting to bed on time. And it's a practice. It took me many years. Oh, it's just to be able to calm discipline down my hard. own. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Discipline is hard. It's hard. Well, Julie, thank you. P.S. You're never going to get rid of me. We are <laughs> now friends wonderful. forever. This is wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. So good to talk to you. And I'm really excited about our next conversation. I would um, love to. That we are going to have. And so you don't want to miss it. So hopefully by the time this comes out, my Patreon will be started. And if it isn't, go follow on Instagram and it will. I'm going to put all of the things that the book and Julie's um, information and the book that she took, she referred to all in the show notes. So take a look at that. And um, yeah, I just, I am so grateful for you and for the work that you put out in this world. I truly believe you are saving lives. Thank and you. Thank you. Very kind that. of you. I've loved talking to you and I love, I love what you do online. I watch it all the time. Oh, thank you. This is bipolar. Thanks again for tuning in. You can find video versions of This Is Bipolar on our YouTube channel. We also have all our previous and soon-to-be-future episodes of the podcast on Apple, Podbean, Spotify, and Google Play. We spend most of our time on Instagram at this.is.bipolar. There is a vibrant community there where we have conversations and post different ideas and different strategies. And we'd just love for you to join us there. It is so helpful if you enjoy our work or think it would be helpful to someone if you could like and share and save and follow us in all or any of those spaces. If you're a listener for the podcast, if you could leave a review, we would be forever grateful. Again, thank you for being here with us. Let's get the word out. Let's share lived experiences so that we can change the ideas that people have about bipolar and help those of us that live with it feel less alone. This is bipolar.